Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of Honey I'm Homeschooling the Kids. And today we are doing a read the review. <laughs> no wait, it's patron, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> okay, welcome back to another episode of Honey I'm Homeschooling the Kids. And we are going to be doing a patron. So today our patron is Shauna Perrier. Thank you so so much, Shauna. Your support really helps keep this podcast running. And another thing we wanted to share is so often I get asked, what are some of the resources that I recommend or learning tools that we use in our home learning environment, especially because we create so many things on our own. But one of the resources I wanted to share today is something that we have all, my kids and myself, have been enjoying the last few months, and that's Masterclass. Some unique classes and teachers from who is Samuel L. Jackson in acting. My daughter has been enjoying Gordon Ramsay in cooking. I think there's a new singing one with Alicia Keys. Is that what you said? Hans Zimmer for music, Carlos Santana, Neil deGrasse Tyson. The list is varied. Simone Biles in gymnastics. It's been a wonderful learning resource for us. And I wanted to share it with you today because Masterclass One is currently offering a buy one, get one free special. And they also become an affiliate of the podcast. So if you want to check out their classes and possibly purchase a membership, we hope you do so through the link that we're including in the show notes. Because when you purchase through that link, you'll also help to support the production of the show. And it makes a pretty cool, unique present for someone as well. Have you been enjoying it, Zara? I have, Mom. Now, (laughs) let's get right into the intro. Who did you interview in this episode? I interviewed Colleen Kessler. Why did you interview her? I really wanted to have Colleen on the show because, number one, she is so passionate and has such great energy about what she does and what she advocates for. And she just has a wealth of experience and knowledge as a homeschooling parent, as a former classroom educator, as a gifted specialist. And she herself homeschools her four unique, gifted, twice exceptional kids. And I knew what she had to say would provide so much value to listeners. Would you like to say anything else about Colleen? Uh, yeah, we. she actually has some fantastic new things coming up, and I just recommend you go to the show notes to find any links to contact her or go to her website, RaisingLifelongLearners.com. She has a new book out, Raising Resilient Sons, A Boy Mom's Guide to Building a Strong, Confident, and Emotionally Intelligent Family, and you can find the link to that at RaisingResilientSons.com. And she's got a wonderful new community for learners and parents called the Learners Lab, and the the link for the Learners Lab is on her website, RaisingLifelongLearners.com, but all of that's included in the show notes, and you'll hear more about it on this episode. And don't forget to go check out my mom on her website, Honey, I'm Homeschooling the Kids, on her Instagram, Honey, I'm Homeschooling the Kids, and on Facebook, Honey, I'm Homeschooling the Kids. And we love getting your reviews, so please leave one. Now, enjoy the episode! So today I have Colleen Kessler joining me on the show. Thank you so much, Colleen, for agreeing to come on Honey, I'm Homeschooling the Kids. Oh, thanks for having me. This is going to be fun. I think so too. (laughs) So Colleen Kessler is an explorer, tinkerer, writer, educator, creator, and a passionate advocate for the needs of gifted and twice exceptional children. She's the author of more than a dozen books for parents, teachers, and children. Colleen is an award-winning educator, educational coach, and consultant with a BS in elementary education and a master's of education in gifted studies. 
She is the founder of the popular podcast and website, Raising Lifelong Learners, and has launched a vibrant new community for quirky families called The Learners Lab, full of creative lessons, problem-solving activities, critical and divergent thinking games, and the social-emotional support differently wired children and teens need most. Her newest book, Raising Resilient Sons, A Mom's Guide to Building a Strong, Confident, and Emotionally Intelligent Family, will be released this December by Ulysses Press. So thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh my goodness. Thank you for having me. And I always listen to those bios when they're read and I think, wow, that sounds like a pretty impressive person for someone who uh-huh. like burnt dinner last night. <laughs> <laughs> you know what it is? It's impressive and it's also you're human just like all of us. So that's what makes it even better, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I just burnt breakfast. So let's call it human. <laughs> sounds good. <laughs> So each family and parent and person that I have on the show always has a unique learning journey. And that's the biggest thing that I always love showcasing and why I love having different, especially homeschooling parents on the show, those that have created a unique learning journey that's based around the framework of personal beliefs and values around learning and self-expression. So Colleen, you are a gifted specialist, you're an educational consultant, and you're a homeschooling mom to four kids. How long have you been homeschooling for now? Oh, so this is our 11th year. I get to graduate one this year. He turns 18 on Wednesday. It's crazy to think about that. Ah, happy birthday. Ah, okay. 18-year-old. Wow. And if you if anyone sees Colleen, she looks like a little sprite. Like, like you wouldn't have an 18-year-old son. <laughs> he, he loves that too because he puts his um his chin on the top of my head. And my 13-year-old daughter has finally passed me. So she loves to like lean against me and tower three or four inches, whatever she's at now, over me. It's hilarious. It is, yeah. I, I'm also a, a tiny person, and uh, my kids do the same. My son loves to hug me more now. I think just so he can say, "Oh, you're so small, mom." Yes, yes. <laughs> Put his head on my chin. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll take it. It's wonderful getting those. <laughs> this is true. It is, yes. So one thing is, you know, you come from a background in schools, and then now you have been homeschooling for eleven years. Why did you decide to make that choice from being in the classroom to being at home with your kids? Yeah, it's a really interesting journey and not really what a lot of people think when, you know, they see me out there now advocating for homeschooling differently wired kids because it seems like I would have been one of those people who jumped into it because I knew without, you know, beyond a shadow of a doubt that this was the right thing. And I didn't. I actually kind of came into homeschooling by itself, um, kicking and screaming a little bit under duress. It was not in our plans. And um, I actually left teaching originally to freelance right full time. At the time, I had a um, five-year-old and a new baby. And she was, you know, a little nursing baby and a five-year-old in pre-K or whatever he was in at the time. And I came home kind of on a trial to see if I could do this freelancing thing. I was already writing for 
educational publishers. I was writing classroom, you know, the the kinds of books that teachers take to extend the lessons, those extra activities that make the lessons less rote and more fun, kind of project-based stuff for the classroom. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to see if I could do that and then be able to use my education and my passion for hands-on learning and project-based learning and interest-led learning in this unique way to benefit classrooms still while being able to get my kids off the bus once they went to school, you know, full-time and be there. So when I first left teaching, I had a part-time babysitter, um, a stay-at-home mom in the area while my oldest went to um, pre-K and then kindergarten. And I anticipated keeping it like that for a while. And then kindergarten was interesting. We got called into the school a lot, but my son had just an angel of a kindergarten teacher. She was really good about differentiating what was going on in the classroom for all kids. There was a lot of movement when she discovered that my son would rather tear apart his nap mat than take a nap like the other kids during kindergarten nap time. She created a little busy box for him so he could do something other than tear systematically apart the mat and then Mm -hmm. cover it with duct tape and tear the duct tape off. Um, And so she was really great and really accommodating, and she loved his quirkiness. And then we got into first grade, and the teacher that he had in first grade was not a bad person, probably wouldn't have been a bad teacher if he had been in an upper grade. He was not well-suited for first graders and all of their need for movement and need to question and need to push envelopes. And my son was really good at moving and questioning and pushing envelopes, and Mm -hmm. he pushed like everything. He pushed every button on his teacher, every button on the the kids around him. He was pushing the envelope of every discussion that was going on, and he was just constantly, constantly in trouble. And there were lots of little things that led up to it, but um, kind of the well, before this, actually, he he would say things to us, my my son, like, and, and remember, this was what gosh, 15, 13 years ago, 12 years ago now, mm-hmm. um, probably 12 years ago, um, because it was right before we got the courage to pull him out. And he would say things like, why can't you homeschool me like that family on TV, the Duggars? <laughs> like he, that was the popular show then. And so he just wanted to be somewhere where he could move and do things. And so it was there in the back of our mind, but my husband is a teacher still. I was a teacher. I was writing for the educational market. Um, I knew teachers at this district. It's a really good district. It was that where we lived before. And I just, I couldn't wrap my head around it. And then he got off the bus um, the Tuesday of Thanksgiving with his head hung low and tears streaming down his face. And, you know, I gathered him up. I'm like, buddy, what's wrong? And he said, if I can't even have an all green week on a two day week, I'm never going to get tiger cash. And I'll never forget that statement because that was like the encapsulation of what all kids look for. That was the reward system in his classroom. And in order to earn this tiger cash to be able to purchase privileges or treasures from the treasure box or whatever, you had to have a perfect week and you had to stay on green all day, 
every day for a week, and he couldn't even do it for a two-day week. And that was his realization that he was never going to fit inside the box of this classroom, and he was never, ever going to be able to earn the rewards, and he was just devastated. And I was like, this is what learning has become to him failing at earning the tiger cash. Like he didn't even care about the the learning anymore. And his preschool teachers had described him as this um, extreme thinker is what his one preschool teacher called him. And so really under duress, kicking and screaming, trying to figure out how I was going to make this work with, at that time, I had a preschooler and another nursing baby. So I was up to three kids at the time. And we just, we had no other options. There were no private schools near us the only gifted school in the area, because by that time he was identified, um, was a 50-minute drive one way. And I live in Northeast Ohio. I could not imagine throwing all three kids in the car and driving two hours round trip every day in the winter to get him to this gifted school where I knew he'd thrive, but it just wasn't practical. So I just took a year-by-year, kid-by-kid perspective and pulled him out. And Honestly, for the most part, we haven't looked back. There have been times where I've thought like, you know, what are my kids missing? Because you always, you know, compare yourself to everybody around you. But for the most part, it's been amazing and so much more than they would ever get. And I was already home anyway. It was like I was preparing for that opportunity before I even knew that that's what I was preparing for. Mm, Right. Yeah. It actually sounds like that, which is, you know, the... Funny how life goes in that way, right? Whether it's divine intervention or whether it's fate or, you know, just that that was our path. Yeah, it's really interesting how that lined up. Mm -hmm. So once you decided to homeschool, how how did your son, was he like, yes, finally, <laughs> you know, or because you also had your younger ones as well. You have yeah. four kids in total, but at that time you had three. Your youngest mm-hmm. was an infant, you know, how, and, and your husband was also a teacher. What was the progression for that? Was it like you started doing it and it was all easy and it all fell into place like that as well? Or, you know, what did it look like for you? Yeah, it was messy. Oh my gosh. It just, you know, it it really was because he was, you know, my husband was working and he didn't do much for that, for the homeschooling piece. It's, you know, teachers work a lot more. They they work more than anybody even imagines that they work because they're gone all day. They're grading papers in the afternoon. And he's an elementary reading specialist now, but, and he was teaching elementary then. So it's not like, grading papers took up a lot of time, but um, he's also he also does other things. So it was mostly left to me and I was still freelance writing at the time. Um, and we knew nobody who homeschooled. At that time, the only thing I knew about homeschooling was from, you know, 19 kids and counting at the time and then um, the blogs that I stumbled upon. And so it was learning as I went. I found some good books. I joined anything I could find. I would go to the local libraries and see if they had homeschool meetups or homeschool classes. And we just went anywhere we could to try to find other people doing it so I could kind of get my feet wet. But then I also, you know, in in retrospect, what I was doing was replicating school at home in the beginning because I didn't know what I didn't know. And I didn't know how to trust myself, which is so interesting because I think – um, this is a, a kind of a common thing I've heard from other teachers turned homeschoolers. You know, you know how to teach a classroom 
You know how to manage a group of kids. And if you're a good teacher or a creative teacher, and I was, I mean, I, I worked with big projects and I wrote grants and my kids, one year, my, my class of students wrote a book that we self-published and then sold to raise money for a charity. Like we did big, cool, fun, creative things. But to translate that into your own home with your own set of chores and routines and still getting dinner on the table and stuff, it was so different. And I felt defeated and I felt frustrated and I felt alone and lost. And then so I just kept falling back on, okay, this was the math workbook he was doing. And we pulled him out in the middle of first grade. So we had all of those workbooks and stuff that we had paid our school fees for. So mostly we just did that. And then it was hard because I was just doing what he had already failed at and mm. not adjusting. And it's it's kind of like that, you know, saying the shoemaker's kids going shoeless, right? I'm a gifted specialist yes. who yeah. worked with gifted kids for over a decade. And here I was having my own identified gifted kid do the rote work that he'd already mastered and was already the cause of frustration in the classroom because it was just safe. And so in the beginning, no, it was messy. We fought. We were sitting down for way too many hours. And I mean, that didn't last long because you can only do that so much when you have a baby crying for, you know, to nurse and you have a three-year-old that wants to go play on the swing. You can only keep kids in for so long. And so we did evolve pretty quickly. Um, but it was a couple years before we really started letting go more and more and more. And now, oh my gosh, our school does not look anything that even <laughs> remotely resembles those first couple years. It's crazy. You know, I wanna I wanna say, well, first I think it's going to be a just like a like an exhale for a lot of parents hearing this because when I hear a lot, well, I'm not a teacher. So how will I ever be able to homeschool my kids? Maybe if I was a teacher, I'll be successful at it. Um, it's interesting to hear you. Uh, you're you are you're a teacher coming from a wealth of experience and knowledge and background, and you still had your struggles. And you know, you also hear a lot when when parents first beginning homeschooling. The you know I'm replicating at school at home because that's what I know, that's what I understand, that's what I think we're going to be doing, and that it took a few years to find your groove in things. Mm -hmm. So I think for a lot of parents that you know we we put a lot of pressure on ourselves, right? Especially homeschooling parents because now we're taking what was the responsibility of what we think was the school and other teachers. We're taking that along with being a mom, a partner, a wife, a friend, all of that on our shoulders, keeping a house clean and meals and everything else. So it's like, huh, it's really nice to hear that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> really, really nice to hear that. <laughs> and then the other thing I wanted to, if we can just maybe also backtrack a little bit, uh -huh. because your your kids, your, your son, but also all four of your children are exceptional, are gifted, mm -hmm. are you know divergent learners, divergent people. Can we, you talk a little bit about that? And maybe for those that are unclear on the terms, maybe you can explain that a little bit for anyone that might be new to hearing any of those terms. Absolutely. And yeah, so first, gifted is from a clinical standpoint, a child or an adult, because you don't like lose your giftedness, um, mm -hmm. who, if they were to be tested in an IQ scale, would fall 
about two standard deviations above average. And to put this into perspective, so if you're listening and you haven't heard this term before or you're trying to kind of place it in your head, um, picture a bell curve, right? And just like any bell curve, any standard distribution of any kind of statistics, you've got average right in the middle. And then it's broken down into like groups of discrepancy from average on either side of that scale. And that's why it kind of tapers off. And so on the left side of the scale, you have kids that start to um, have learning difficulties, possibly developmental delays, and things like that. And usually you start to find that about two standard deviations below average on a bell curve of an IQ scale. And then if you flip to the other side of the scale, you find gifted kids they start about two standard deviations above average on that IQ scale. So they're, they think quicker, um, they grasp things a little bit more easily, they tend to do things um, asynchron- asynchronously, meaning that they could be kind of like ev- like so far in advanced in math or science or writing, but then one or two of their other areas are behind because their mind has latched on to one of those areas and they've taken off. But really when we look at it, they are equally discrepant from the average neurotypical population as kids who get special services for developmental and learning delays because they're, you know, they, they're wired differently than the brains react to the stimuli around them differently than a neurotypical child. So actually, our gifted kids are just as discrepant as our, you know, learning or developmentally disabled kids. And it just shows up differently. It shows up for them as quicker thinking and processing. But because they're not thinking in the same way as neurotypical or average people, children and adults, they aren't always understood, right? Their mind is working faster or their mouth might be working faster than their mind and they can't slow down and they say something that is rude, impulsive, but is actually just how they're processing things. And so these kids need a different way of teaching, a different way of um, kind of counseling through their, like parenting, you know, in a counseling kind of way, like you need to slow down, think before you speak, um, consider how you're being perceived. But then also, as far as the education goes, you need to look at their overall learning as, well, they might be getting one or two years, well, two or three years of one subject in in a year, and it might take them three years to get through another subject because their mind doesn't click onto that as much or as quickly. I understand it. Um, And I think maybe to expand a little bit on it, because I think what happens many times is when people hear the term gifted, they, the assumption is that you're gifted in everything, that life is just, you're smarter than everybody. You're better than everybody. Everything is going to come easier and you're a little bit above everybody. I think, you know, just to Mm -hmm. kind of like put it in that way. Um, I think you explain it really well because, you know, it's, you know, it, it's a difference. And um, so sometimes there's struggles as well. And, and like you said, you might have, for example, a, a topic or a focus or an area where it's, you know, you're zoned in on and you're extremely focused in on, but that doesn't necessarily, maybe there's something else though on the other side where 
you're not you're not at that place place or pace. Um, so it there's a difference, um, and I'm trying to think of how to word this in the way because like, it is very clear to me. I don't I don't think you can get it any simpler. Um, right. But I think sometimes what also happens on the other side is sometimes it's considered a deficit. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that, um, the thing that's hardest to wrap our heads around when we're thinking about gifted is that pervasive myth, right? That gifted kids are just super easy because they know all the answers and they, they do everything you put in front of them. When in actuality, we're, are, we're generally thinking about a high achiever when we're thinking about that that kind of mythological child, we're thinking about a kid who's pretty smart and oftentimes wouldn't test into a gifted IQ. They get things pretty quickly and they need, you know, fewer repetitions than most kids, but they still need the repetitions. But they also want to please. They're, they're teacher pleasers, people pleasers, because they thrive on the achievement. And most gifted kids are just kind of a little past that. They still get all of the material more quickly, but they're also processing the world in a different way so that mm-hmm. they're putting themselves like they have a they it's like that kind of little old professor, you know, kid who seems like wise beyond his years. They they mm-hmm. understand the world at a different, like almost an adult-like understanding. Bad things happen. Wars, you know, pop up throughout history. Um, Oh gosh, anything could go wrong at any time, but they are still children. And so that's where the asynchrony comes in. And socially and emotionally, they extrapolate those big things into big worries that are irrational and make them um, fear that it's going to happen to them right now, which is so weird to be talking about at a time like this when some of those like big irrational fears have like happened again and again and again this year. So these poor gifted kids are like, see, I told you, I told you all this stuff was going to happen to us. But um, but by and large, it's, you know, a, the difference between an achiever, a, a smart kid who's high average, and a gifted kid who just processes everything so differently. And that's where it can come to parents as um, a shock, right? If you If you talk to parents of gifted kids and you're like, oh, you're so lucky. You have a gifted kid. You're, they're getting things so quickly and they're probably so easy to raise. They're like rolling their eyes because yes, in some ways it's great. I don't have to tell my kid. I don't have to teach my kid calculus. I can get him a course or a book and he's going to get it, that mathematically you know, minded one. However, um, he's, you know, 18 almost and still doesn't have a driver's license or know how to get his clothes from his bedroom to the washing machine and can burn instant ramen if he's asked to make himself something to eat because that absent-minded professorness, you know, he's thinking about the newest coding project he's working on or or something that someone said or something that he wants to do and try and everything else goes by the wayside because he's not clicking along at a, a linear pace of development socially, emotionally, physically, and academically like most people do. He's all over the place. And that's where gifted kids 
become a struggle for parents and why they don't fit in that box of education and are never going to earn the tiger cash. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, not not have all the green stars or the green stickers right. in the week in order to get the tiger cash. Yeah, because it's yeah, it, it's also it's moving so quickly. But then it, I have a hard time balancing the rest. And uh, yeah, yeah, I I get it for sure. So then, so then for you, for years of working with gifted kids in the classroom and being home with your kids, how did that, like you said, you actually, it took a few years for you guys to find your flow, to find your rhythm. And so, so how did that, did you take a lot of what you use in the classroom and then started applying it at home? Or did you learn to really work with each of your kids uniquely as they are? Yeah, it was kind of an evolution where both of those came finally to a point. I think it's interesting. um, When I went into gifted education, I went into it because the, the classwork, the coursework was fascinating to me, right? And felt like best practice education. I was already a creative person and loved to Um, create these experiences for my students so that they just fell in love with learning even about obscure topics. And gifted education, the premise behind that when you go to, to, to study it is essentially that. Take every kid as an individual and look at where they're starting and make sure that you're empowering them and creating opportunities for them to grow a little and learn a little every day instead of those gifted kids going into school and staying there and being bored because they've already mastered the stuff for their grade level. So look at each one of them as an individual and give them something new and novel and exciting to learn every day. And that's kind of the antithesis, right, of what regular classroom education looks like because Classroom teachers just don't have time for that. They don't have time to look Mm -hmm. at all 25 children as individuals and see where each one of them is and then move each one of them forward at their own pace every single day. And as a gifted specialist, I had the opportunity to some degree to do that within the constraints of the school district and um, working with the other teachers who had those kids for most of their day. But I was able to start looking at my kids as it was easier with the younger ones, right? Because they weren't coming from a classroom. So we definitely, both my oldest, Trevor and I had to learn and kind of de-school a bit, right? To get that that mentality and that paradigm out of our heads. But we were able to start letting go of some things and following rabbit trails for others. And so in the beginning, it looked like getting rid of textbooks and workbooks and doing like lap books and unit studies and basing those around the different exhibits that were going on at museums and, um, you know, field trips that were offered to homeschoolers and things like that in the in the area. So like when we went to a a chocolate factory. You know, we would do a unit study on chocolate, like where it came from, how there's a great book that I actually used to use with my students when I taught in a regular third grade class about habitats, um, how monkeys make chocolate. It's an old book, but it just talked about the inter um, 
relational aspects of different kinds of species of plants and animals in different habitats around the world. And so we were able to bring some of those different kinds of things in to our discussions because at the end of it all, we were going to a chocolate factory and we were going to test chocolate and make chocolate of our own at home. And so it started by doing that where I was guiding the unit studies or the lap books that they were doing or whatever. And then as he got older, it became more about what he was interested in and then what he would need to check some boxes. I'm still, unfortunately, a teacher at heart. And there are certain things that I just feel in my gut like I'm not doing my job if they don't know. So all of my kids do a little bit of reading, a little bit of writing, a little bit of math every day. They have a math workbook. My oldest doesn't anymore. He's just, he's completely different and like isolated from the rest of our homeschooling, which sounds weird when I say it that way and sounds like I'm getting rid It's not. He's just doing his own thing because he's, you know, he should have, gra- truthfully, he should have graduated last year. But um, in a uh, a hint of maturity and the man that he's kind of becoming, he pulled me aside, you know, where none of his siblings or or my husband could hear. And he said, you know, I just, I know I can, I know I'm done with everything. I'm not going anywhere anyway. We both know that. I don't have a driver's license. I'm not 18. I'm probably going to take, you know, CLEP type classes and things like that on, you know, line. Um, and this is, my cousin's year. So he's got two cousins. He mentioned them by name. I'm not going to, I'm not going to call them out, but um, two of his cousins <laughs> were graduating last year. And so the whole fa- extended family were gearing up for, you know, these two cousins and their graduation. And he said, I don't want to be that. We're already the the weird homeschooled family in the family. And I don't want to be the one who accelerates and then shows them up on their year graduating a year early and celebrating with them. So I can do it next year on my own when I was supposed to, which was so mature. It's wow, pretty insightful. Yeah, that yeah. is very mature. Yeah, yeah. So he's just kind of an anomaly in our homeschool right now because he's coasting, really. He's doing some um, college stuff. But the other kids do a little bit of handwriting because I need them to be legible and a little <laughs> bit of writing. They have journals. Um, if they don't, have an idea of something else that they want to work on writing-wise, they write in journals and they just write about their favorite things that happened during the day or something else. Um, Whereas my 13-year-old, she writes stories just for fun. She's a beautiful writer. I mean, blows me away. And, um, And then they have a math program. They work with Singapore Math. They do a workbook and they have to do at least one lesson a day. And that, that helps me feel secure that they can like balance a checkbook and negotiate a mortgage one day. And other than that, we play a lot. We, you know, when things are open, we go on field trips and we see friends and we go for hikes and uh, we developed a relationship with this little, um, this couple. They're so quirky and so like rough around the edges. If you met them at first, you'd be like, wait, why are we here? Um, but this little, they've got this little house in this um, part of the city that's kind of becoming an artistic kind of revival area. And they have a glass blowing and blacksmithing studio. And we went there for one class and my kids fell in love. And the blacksmith, um, Casey, is pretty much my oldest son 
all grown up in all his quirky glory. And he <laughs> and Trevor recognized minds, you know, like minds right away and started trading magic tricks and like random, um, totally obscure facts. And so we're in the process right now of setting up some private lessons where Trevor can do some more blacksmithing with Casey and the girls can do some more glass fusing and glass blowing um, on the other side of it. So yeah, we just kind of go with the flow now. Um, And if you were to come and follow us for a day, you'd be like, I don't even think they're really homeschooling, but (laughs) they're getting so much out of any little thing they dive down that it's amazing to me. Mm, Yeah, it sounds, it sounds very, and it it does sound that you, well, the biggest thing I also hear is that you've also created space. As much as you say, oh, I, I'm still a teacher at heart and I want them to do certain things, where, you know, whether it's the handwriting or math, it sounds like they have a lot of space to create and do what they need to do. Mm-hmm. They do, definitely. And when I hear, um, and I guess this is like the biggest tip you can give anyone who wants to let go a little bit, when you hear or observe an interest in something, like that's what you spend your school money on. That's what you spend your school budget on. You know, um, we've got lots and lots of little blank books because my my 11-year-old, she has dyslexia. She is um, twice exceptional with um, – she's creatively gifted. We don't have her identified as gifted, but being a gifted specialist, I kind of know ballpark where she falls. So I'm confident in saying that. Um, <laughs> but her um, her difficulties um, lie in sensory processing disorder, anxiety. She is identified with generalized anxiety disorder. And then she's also dyslexic. And so writing comes very difficult to her, but she's this spinner of tales and stories. And so one of the things I got for her, cause I was, I mean, frankly, I was tired of answering the question, how do you spell this all the time? Uh, we put an echo dot in our family room. And so now she asks Alexa to spell everything and she creates Ah. these books and draws these pictures. And as long as I have blank books or notebooks or journals around in various places that she can grab them, she is constantly creating playscapes with construction paper or writing books in these blank books and you know what started out as stick figures have and have you know gone to stick figures with clothing and then are starting to get you know more fully designed she's not gifted artistically but she's gifted in the storytelling aspect and is now starting to use pictures to tell those stories as well it's really interesting so if you just listen and observe and then start putting the stuff in your house they're going to use it. They're going to find it. And then they're going to be spending that time within the space that you've given them well and creatively and interestingly. And they're going to learn from that. Listen and observe and then offer. Put Allow mm-hmm. that access to, to all of that in your space. Okay. That, that's actually an excellent point. And it's actually really interesting because I love what you just said. You said writing comes difficult. It's difficult to her, but she's a spinner of stories. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. you know, it, it's, and she's dyslexic and I, you know, sometimes I hear, well, my kids will never be able to write because, you know, they, 
they're dyslexic or they have dyslexia. Actually, I had another conversation another weekend where, you know, someone asked, well, do you have dyslexia or are you dyslexic? Which is, is there, you know, what is the difference between that? But um, I can ask you that question after, but the stumbling block, you hear that, well, they won't be able to write or won't be able to create because of this. But I love how you how you said that it you know she's a spinner of stories and all of those ways the notebooks um, Alexa, you know the echo in the home to ask how to spell all of that that she has used to be able to to spin those stories to create and to create that way it's really beautiful. Yeah, I think sometimes, especially with that particular type of skill, you know, the reading and the writing, we forget that writing and handwriting are two completely and totally different things. The The act of writing is really the formulation of ideas with beginning, middles, ends, details, rich elaboration and originality. And the handwriting separate. And we lose a lot of our kids in the school systems when we force the handwriting piece in all areas of the content. When if we took it out and let them tell us what they were thinking or dictate what they're thinking or draw what they're thinking, we would actually realize that they know a lot more than we're giving them credit for because we've just Mm -hmm. taken away the handwriting piece. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, do you think that that is more accessible now in schools or is that something that is just kind of on the cusp? I think it was starting to get more and more accessible and it feels like we've backslid a little bit with this pandemic because even though kids are learning remotely, I hear from parents who are extremely frustrated. Like, you know, I homeschool and I talk a lot to homeschoolers, but my audience is pretty split because they come to me about the gifted stuff and the perspective that I have as a gifted educator and a parent of gifted. And so I hear from both sides, right? Homeschoolers as well as um, parents whose kids are in the school. And they're frustrated because there's so much writing. And it may not be handwriting. It may be typing instead. But um, these kids are asked to show what they're doing in this really prescribed kind of way, or they have to do all these worksheets and turn them in once a week to get credit. And so it feels like it's almost a backsliding because the teachers aren't with them on a daily basis, so they can't evaluate them in a different way. They have to see it on paper in order to evaluate when, you know, if we did take that out of the the equation and let them use voice recording and send us a recording. You know, I don't know how that is, especially right now, how that would be scalable for teachers because you can't listen to, you know, 25 kids sending you their stories via voice. There's only so much time in the day. So I understand the difficulty and where that comes in. But um, I think it can be more accessible because you can use tools like Dragon Dictation or voice to text or, you know, your voice memos on the iPhone or whatever. But I still think our schools in particular are stuck in that mindset of they have to have a product for everything they're taught so I can be accountable for having taught it to them. Yes, absolutely. Because then you can also show it. And then there's always measurements and checks Mm -hmm. as it goes up the scale as well. So it's always, you have to produce something. I I hear that all the time. You have to produce something. You can't just know it. You have to produce something on top of it as well. 
Yeah. What a gift we have as homeschoolers, right? To let go of yes. that and just have a conversation over dinner with our kids to, to know yes. that they've got it. Yeah. And to see them, to let them, you know, create and play and therefore, you know, they understand it because there they are living it in their world every day in the, in the different way that they are creating and living it. Yeah. We really are. We really, really are. And you know, it's actually interesting because as I'm listening to you, I'm also at the same time thinking about how, because, you know, I live in Canada and I also work within the public school system. I'm on the governance level. And as you're talking, so I'm thinking, okay, so you're in the States and how is it broken down and how, because you're a gifted specialist. And I think where I am anyways, we don't really have any gifted specialists anymore because mm -hmm. so much of our education is the inclusive classrooms. So where maybe kids before had, you could work with a specialist, a gifted specialist, or there may be, um, or really you would sometimes leave the classroom and have separate classes at certain times during the week, things like that, mm -hmm. uh, or enhancement classes and, or, you know, teachers that were enhancement teachers. And that way that's no longer the case. Everyone is together because the idea is that everyone, no matter where you are, is supporting and uplifting each other. But when you get to the technicalities of the school structure and the classroom and curriculum and semesters and years and diploma and provincial exams and regulations and, you know, all of those other things that fall on top of it, it's hard to do that. You know, the teacher only has so many hours in a day, <laughs> you know, right. in a year, in the week, in the month, and then on top of everything else that is happening now. Um, so, yeah, sorry. I'm just telling you another conversation in my head where I'm trying to think mm -hmm. of what it looks like in the school system on your side compared to how it plays out here in the school system and how it maybe has benefited some students. But on the whole, I do see a lot of students who are, you know, uh, you know, like I, I, uh, I, there was a student the other day that she had said, you know, a parent had talked about how there is a class where they kind of have free time to ends up, they end up doing homework and things like that. But many times it ends up for the kids that don't finish, it's their time to catch up. So anyone that is done or further ahead, they end up just sitting there sometimes, right? Mm -hmm. And she yeah. said, you know, I want to be challenged. I, you know, I want to, I don't mind getting the extra things so that I mean, even if it's difficult, that because I've done all my things anyways, and I understand it, I would like to have more, you know, I would like to be challenged more. But it's just, everyone's kind of like, we just don't have time. We're so sorry. Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. So yeah, it's, it, it's, hard. it's interesting. I don't, I don't think that there's an easy answer either, especially for the school systems, because like you said, there's only so many hours, there's only so, so many resources in, you know, in the form of teachers, and then money, and then, you know, like you said, time. But um, I think that I think that we're probably getting closer and closer to where you are because it those services get cut first. And right. I know even just having still kept in contact with people that I worked with when I worked and and I worked in a district I was very fortunate in the district that I worked in we had one of me for every three grade levels, which is unheard of. There's just not that, that many specialists in districts. No. And so I got to really, really hyper-focus on a handful of teachers and a handful of students. 
But that's not the case anymore. Um, that district has gone more to a one gifted specialist in the district type model. And I've been told again and again that I kind of got out of the classroom and education at the right time because, you know, granted, that was over a decade ago now um, because I've been homeschooling my kids for te- for 11 years. But um, but I wouldn't have the same freedom even as a gifted specialist that I did then. I was able to do some really cool things with my students because I didn't have a huge caseload of students. I could really hmm. focus on adapting, working with the teachers to adapt their materials in the classroom. And then I could pull them out once a week for different subject areas to to challenge them. And then I could also pull them out to work on special projects to kind of tap into that overall cognitive ability and creative thinking um, brain that just wasn't tapped as often as it needed to be when you're sitting in a classroom learning facts. But that's not the case anymore. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's not. And and it is one of the first things that gets cut, unfortunately. But I also know the benefits that happen even years later for those that are able to experience it. So... Okay, so let's also talk about because I, you know, <laughs> I think you and I could probably go down this whole other rabbit hole as well too. But let let's get back to homeschooling <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and the wonderful gift of homeschooling that we do have, and we're very grateful for. And and for those parents that are homeschooling, listening to this episode as well, because you know I've had you know questions from parents who say, you know, I'm at home right now, and my child is gifted. My child is twice exceptional, um, but I feel like I'm over my head right now. Or, you know, my child really is just differently wired. What do you, how can I set my home up so that they can thrive, so that they can build resiliency, and that also that I'm a balanced parent so that I can be the best I can for them as well and for myself? Yeah. Yeah. The first thing that I would say to parents with that is, number one, you're not alone. It's really hard when you're parenting an outlier like this. You know, it's a smaller percentage of the population and you feel like everybody else is able to just purchase a curriculum out of a book and make it work. And that's just not going to happen for you. And you're not the only one in this world who isn't going to be able to just follow a scope and sequence. Your kids are going to be kind of all over the place. And so the best advice I would give you is exactly what I said earlier. Watch them. Put things in their environment that can possibly pique an interest and then roll with it and run with it even. Um, and so what that looks like on a practical level, right, is if, you're, if your child is really doing well um, or gets math concepts at a super duper quick pace, then don't make them do every single practice problem. Adapt the curriculum to fit your kid if that's a curriculum you're using. And I recognize that a lot of your audience is going to be unschoolers. And so there'll be a variety of types of programming you use. But say you're like me and you're pretty much relaxed in all the other areas, but you've got your your kind of must-dos and the hills that you die on, and one of those is math, and your child runs with math. Well, look at the page and circle the five to ten most difficult problems on that page that demonstrate a mastery of that particular concept. And if your child can do the five or six or ten hardest problems in a group of 40 to show that they've mastered that concept, they absolutely do not have to do the other 30. And they shouldn't. And 
if they make a mistake, then you say, okay, this is a concept you don't have totally down pat. Why don't you do another 10 more? And let's just see if you can get it in those 10 and then work your way up. But you never have to finish everything just because it's there. Just because you bought a history book that has comprehension questions does not mean your child needs to keep a notebook with all of the comprehension questions for history. You can talk about it over coffee or hot chocolate or while you're going for a walk in the woods. And so adapt and let go of the stuff that doesn't bring you joy and bring your kids a love of learning and switch it around in a way that makes it fun and makes learning the goal and not the product the goal. So that would be the first thing that I would say to parents of gifted kids, that you need to look at all curriculum and all choices you're going to make for what your kids are learning from a different lens and see what you can get rid of and what you can adapt to make it so that that intrinsic desire to learn is preserved and kind of cherished. And then I guess the other thing is to be okay that your homeschool day is not going to look like other people's homeschools do, meaning it's not going to be a get up, gather around the table for a morning time, you know, meet up where you're doing all of the beautiful poetry and artist study or whatever, because not every one of your kids <laughs> is going to be into it. And you might need to do some adapted version of what your ideal homeschool looks like. And that could be like, for example, for us, we have evolved into this really what from the outside and even... I mean, my poor husband, I think that he just feels we're super duper lazy for the most part because he's seen <laughs> a lot of our homeschool since the pandemic has shut down schools off and on. He's he's worked from home more than he's ever worked from home. And we sleep in. I am a person whose mind works better at night. And so I do all of my book writing and my blog creation and my content creation for my membership and my answering of emails at night once we've finished all the cool fun stuff we're doing for the day and my younger kids are kind of tucked away trying to fall asleep or reading or playing Power Rangers in their bed and that's when I start to work. And so I am up really late and I've never been a morning person. Even if I go to bed early, my kids know not to talk to me until I've had a shower and multiple cups of coffee. And so (laughs) it's never been a thing for us to get going early. But now... My younger two, they're 11 and 8. No, he's 7. He'll be 8. I'm sorry. I'm like jumping ahead <laughs> of myself. He will be 8. But um, he, the, the two of them, my daughter and my son, they get up before anybody else. They're just early birds. It's how they're wired. And they get up and they make themselves breakfast. It's simple cereal or a piece of fruit or yogurt and granola, whatever we have in the freezer or in the cupboard. And they eat and they lounge around. Sometimes they play Play-Doh or uh, if I've remembered to like strew something out for them, they'll play with that for a while. But most of the time, they're on their Kindle Fires or on their Chromebooks and they're playing. And then I get out of bed somewhere around 8.30, 9 o'clock and even sometimes 9.30 and I come down have a cup of coffee. I sit and chat with them while they're playing their games. And then I go up and shower and wake up my teens for the first of like the three attempts that I need to make. And (laughs) 
we're not doing anything substantial until after lunch because I make everybody a big lunch because it's my teen's first meal of the day. It's my first meal of the day. And then the other kid, the other two have eaten like basically like sugar or carbs. And so we get our day going in the afternoon and that's when the younger two and I sit down and we'll do a little bit of math, a little bit of reading, a little bit of writing, and then we'll play some games and we'll go outside. And my big kids, one of them meets up with her friend via uh, FaceTime. They are both taking a self-paced ASL class. And so they, whenever both of them roll out of bed, they're both 13, they get their breakfast, they get a cup of coffee, and they get on FaceTime and they work through the lesson together. They watch the lesson and then they use FaceTime to practice the ASL signs on each other. And then they go about their day and, you know, chat a little bit. My daughter will practice her music. She'll work on whatever story she's working on. She'll work on some history. She's taking um, a CLEP prep class for American History One right now. And my teen will do a little bit of that kind of stuff, his college stuff. He'll do some stuff for an internship he's doing. And then he'll edit some of my podcasts. He'll play on his VR headset. He'll code a little bit. He might shoot a video with special effects. And then we'll all come together for dinner and we'll hang out and watch a movie or play games in the evening. So we don't look like a typical homeschool. And it's okay because there's a lot of learning that's taking place in there. So parents of gifted and differently wired and ADHD and sensory processing kids, you have to take your cues from how you're wired because chances are if your kids are differently wired, you're differently wired in some way as well. And then also from your kids and see what works best for you and go with that. Even if that means you're doing math at 8 p.m., it's okay. Mm, yeah, I love it. Okay. Um, I, I also love how y- your day is your day and how you've really created that and and gone with the patterns as well. And it's not, I think last time that you and I talked, I told you how for me, I'm the opposite. I'm a morning person and I'm falling asleep when it gets late and I have to get up early. (laughs) My son's 14 and he's not, he's the opposite. He's a night owl. And you know, we've, we found our pattern and our rhythm. My, my daughter is the opposite. So yeah, our day looks different from your day, but I think that's also the beauty to remember of it is that everyone's, no one's day is going to look exactly the same. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, when you're not recreating the classroom and that schedule, you have the liberty and space to create what's right for you and and for your homeschooling to reflect that. And it, it doesn't have to look like the sheet that you're given to check off everything to do within the day. It looks like your family and, right. it, sounds, and it works well. Yeah. Absolutely. I love that. That is the beauty of it. Okay. So, um, and I know also I want to be respectful of your time too, because we are getting into a good, your good portion of the day as well. It's two here. And I think it's probably what, four o'clock for you yeah. uh, around mm-hmm. your time. Okay. So I, I would, before we go, I would really like to talk about, because I know I actually have a million other questions for you, but I would really <laughs> like to talk about two things. Um, one, what you're creating, your community that you've created, the Learner's Lab, and your book that you have coming out. Mm-hmm. Um, or that is, it's ready. It's actually pre-order is ready right now. So your book on um, raising resilient sons, a, a boy mom's guide to building a strong 
confident, and emotionally intelligent family. Let's talk about that first. I uh, am almost done reading it. I love it because I think also because I see and hear myself and my family in so much of that book and those stories. Your your son, your oldest is older than mine. Mine's only 14. But so many of those stages that you talked about going through and growing through, we are, is, is happening in our family right now. And it's really timely. Uh, it really, really resonates so well. Um, you know, how talking about the stages of when they're young and they really connect with their mom and, you know, and as they're growing older and more independent and giving that the space, the support, the community, all of that that helps to build their resiliency into adulthood and the importance of emotional intelligence. Um, but I'll let you talk a little bit more about that, the book. I, I'm so just like humbled, really, like because it's new, right? And just a handful of people have read it. And so the couple people that I've talked to and then now hearing you, it's just, it's so humbling. And I'm so grateful that it resonates and that you're enjoying it because it's like, so I've written before, and I've talked to you about that before. Um, I've written books for teachers, books for kids, and most of them are filled with all sorts of really fun, hands-on activities and things to do. And this particular book just has so much, like you said, stories and and so much of, of me in it and my family that it's been this nervous kind of anticipation getting it out in the world. And there's this excitement because it's completely like birthing another baby right now. And uh, so, so I'm really grateful for that. And it's exactly what you said that the more we can connect with our kids, like really in a nutshell, it's, it's all about the connection, right? It's all about helping our kids know that they have a safe spot, not in our home as much as in our hearts and with Mm. us and that we're there their mentors and kind of facilitators on this journey to help them learn and grow from all of the different experiences that are kind of coming at them from the world, but we're, we're still giving them the space to discover themselves, make some mistakes when we're there to help pick them up and then talk them through them and keep enjoying life around them and with them so they see that life is important to be enjoyed and that that will help them grow in relationship with others and within themselves more than anything else. That that connection with their community and their family and their extended family and the friends that they come across, whether those friends, you know, are in their lives for a short while or forever, that just understanding that everybody brings important perspectives to them so that they can learn from them is is so, so important. And that emotional piece, right, the, the building of their emotional intelligence really in a nutshell just means like helping them understand that theirs is not the only perspective in the world and that everybody's is worthy of seeing and knowing and and learning from, I think is kind of the core of that all. Hmm. So was it, was the motivation as well for you seeing your son, your oldest come of age now going into adulthood? Was that a big motivation of that book and your experiences with him? And you knew it would relate to other parents and moms as well with boys? 
Yeah, yeah, that was that was part of it, definitely. And I've spent so much time over the last few years through speaking and through just the different, you know, social media communities and things like that, talking with parents about how hard it is kind of in the middle of it all, right? And I've wanted to talk about more in in an easy to, I guess, digest way the the different stages and how you're right like certain times it's it's hard and it's messy and it's busy but it all comes to a payoff right it it comes to our job isn't to raise our kids our job is to raise adults who we want to spend time with and have around the table and bring back into our lives and hang out and chat with and and that you know, seeing it, my seeing my son go from some of the stories that are in there. You know, this this kiddo who, um, oh gosh, he just he he was so tough sometimes. Just you know, his preschool teacher called him an extreme thinker, but it was really because he was he was thinking all the time, but he was also extreme in every other way, shape, or form. He was climbing walls, literally, literally and figuratively, and you know, interjecting and and um, poking and, you know, ripping papers up and all over the place to the kid who says, you know, there's no official anything here. Just graduate me next year so I don't take away from my cousins. <laughs> like, that's yeah. such a huge difference in leap. And parents who are in the middle of it all, you know, there's there's hope and there's a payoff and there's, you know, the adult at the end of it that you're going to love being around. Mm, yeah, that's that's the reward. Mm -hmm. And I also, what I also enjoy that really, I think, uh, you know, it's not a huge chapter or piece, but it's the theme that I hear coming up throughout the book as well, is really honoring that your child is is their own being. <laughs> that as mm -hmm. much as, you know, we think in our head, okay, this is how we want them to be, but it's not about that. It's about letting them be who they are. And, you know, and that makes that reward and process of enjoying the adult even better because, and I guess it's a less of a, a conflict as well then, right? Because you're creating the space for them to be them. Yes, absolutely. And that's so hard, right? Especially when it's our first, um, mm -hmm. because we come to the table with an idea of what our kids are going to be like. I was just talking to somebody about this the other day. My husband and I met playing softball. And he proposed to me on the softball diamond. I played junior Olympic softball. He dove and played baseball in college. We're just like, we were athletes. I mean, and I say were because I spend most of my time eating chocolate and typing now. But <laughs> um, but we were athletes and we were like- You we're worked your way up to it. <laughs> exactly. Um, I, I've earned that chocolate and that typing. Yeah. yeah. We, we pictured, right, if we had a boy first, it was going to be an athlete right? Because we were. And he yeah. cried on the, the baseball diamond and he cried on the soccer field. And he just wanted to build with Legos and he just wanted to mess around with a computer. And he just wanted to talk about the weird random things he was learning about. And this was <laughs> not someone who was going to be an athlete. And it was not someone who was going to be like the tough older brother who was going to beat up anybody who you know, came <laughs> along to torment his little sister. It was just not. In fact, his little sister would be more likely to beat up someone who came to bug him. And until, like, I think it was hard for us at first, you know, early on, because 
you're like, what are we going to do with this kid? We, we know baseball, we know soccer, we know basketball. And there's a little bit of kind of, well, it's, it's a little bit of mourning, but it's really growth, right? Where you start to realize that you, you have, somebody said it really well the other day. It was, um, I can't remember if it was someone I was interviewing or if it was something that I was listening to because it's all kind of mixed up in my brain right now, but that we aren't, it was somebody that I was just recently interviewing. So her episode won't come out for a couple months, but um, we're not, we're not reproducing, right? We're, we're producing, we're producing these living being beautiful children. We're not reproducing ourselves when we have kids. And I thought that was so profound and such the mistake so many of us make we're thinking that we're raising little us's, but we're not. We're raising little thems, and we need to help them mm. figure out who they're supposed to be and what they were put here for. And our job is to be a facilitator and a guide and a mentor to help them find and nurture those pieces of themselves and those passions of themselves. And that ultimately is what's going to make them the most confident the most resilient and the most emotionally sound people and adults that they can be because we're validating who they really are the whole time we're raising them. Yes. Yes, exactly. And so if we want to find the book, if we want to get on the pre-sale list, where do we go? So you can purchase the book anywhere books are sold. Um, and then once you've purchased it or before, if you want to see the cover and, and learn a little bit about it, you can go to raisingresiliencesons.com. And um, once you've purchased it, you just go to the bottom of the page and there is a little um, like sign up form. You can put your name and your email address and the like confirmation number from your receipt. Like if you buy it at Barnes and Noble or an independent bookstore or Amazon, every receipt gives you a confirmation number and just put that in there and you will get the pre-order bonuses that we have right now. So if you purchase the book before December 8th, before it comes out, we're going to be having, um, a live kind of celebration, obviously via Zoom because of pandemic. Um, So I get to do my virtual Mm -hmm. book launch as a virtual event instead of a in-person event. But you'll get um, kind of a a seat in that and then uh, some little surprises to your inbox just to thank you for pre-purchasing the book because as I'm learning, it's not just about writing. The the pre-order of these things means a great deal and means the difference between whether your publisher keeps printing it or whether it kind of disappears after a couple months. <laughs> the business game, the marketing game. Yes, yes. <laughs> Which I'd rather just write in chocolate all the time and let somebody else figure that part out for me because I like the words and talking and spinning of the, the stories. But, you know, you got to figure that part out too. <laughs> I agree. I know. I know. There's always many spinning parts, many spinning plates to it, isn't it? It's not just one thing, you know, yeah. which which keeps us on our toes, keeps us interesting. And I guess in a way it builds our own resilience as well. Definitely. So. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> well, okay. So I'll include that in the show notes, raisingresilientsons.com, the page that you can go to for anyone that's more interested, even more interested in building a strong, confident an emotionally intelligent family and children and a child that's not us, that's them. I think that was like, that was dead on. Yeah. That's such a great way to say it. And then for those that also are looking for a little bit more support, you have a new community in the Learner's Lab. Could you 
tell us a little bit about that and and how a homeschooling parent can find more support through that community? Yes, absolutely. I am ridiculously excited about this piece because it's something that has been on my heart and kind of in my brain percolating for a couple of years now, actually. And um, over the last few months, we've really made it happen. I've had the the help of an amazing, amazing tech support who made it look like I wanted it on the inside so people can find their way around it easily. But basically, it's a community mostly for your kids. Um, we have our differently wired kids home with us, right? And they're getting their math, they're getting their science, they're getting whatever it is that they're interested in doing. But one of the things that is difficult to find outlets for them in is just kind of, um, first of all, social and emotional learning. That is always difficult for kids who think differently than the people around them. They, they are often feeling like they're misunderstood or they're different or there's something wrong with them. And so we're building a community where they can find other kids like them that um, from anywhere. It's all virtual. And so they're able to connect in in unique ways. And I'll tell you about those real quick. But um, so they have a space to connect and find other kids like them, but they also have a space. We put up a self-paced lesson every month. It's a challenge, actually, in um, what we're calling the EQ Challenge Lab, all about emotional intelligence. And each month there's a a five, like, well, like two to five, maybe seven minute video for them to watch about a specific social and emotional skill. So for example, this month we're working on worry. Next month in December, I think when this might air, we're working on um, resiliency. And so they watch this little video talking to them about that topic. And then there are five choices of activities that they can do. So in the the worry area right now, they can create a calm down corner. They can start a worry journal. They can create a plan with their their parents or um, a trusted adult for if they start to feel overwhelmed and worried when they're in a specific situation. Um, and then there's a couple other different kinds of things. And when they choose and complete three out of those five challenges, they get to mark it as complete. And they get a little badge right now in their dashboard that says that they completed that area. It's not super bells and whistles gamified because that's a little beyond me coding wise right now, but we're working on it. And um, they also will get some surprises in the mail in the coming months to celebrate their successes in that social and emotional platform so that they are they have an incentive to work on those social skills. And so they they want to keep tackling worry and resiliency and confidence and some of the other things that are coming up. But then just for fun for them and to really stretch their thinking in ways that they don't normally get to do in the kinds of lessons and activities they normally have, we have a creative thinking lesson that's live every month. And um, they can just sign up for it within their dashboard. And it's usually the second Wednesday of the month. And I will be on live teaching them some kind of Thing. So it's an activity, like I hesitate to call it a lesson because like the first time we did um, a divergent thinking exercise where they put themselves in the place of an inanimate object to use it to describe kind of who they are. So they were thinking divergently, creatively, they were using originality of thought and 
um, creative thinking and elaboration when they were coming up with all sorts of different ideas for it and flexibly while they were stretching and bending their brain around this different way of perceiving themselves. And then, so each month we're going to be doing some kind of creative thinking skill through an activity like that or um, a game or some other kind of lesson or activity, which then has uh, downloadable extensions in the membership so that they can do more like it if they enjoyed it. Because a lot of times our gifted kids want to run with something. or And even if your kid isn't identified as gifted, that's not what this is all about. It's for our creative kids, our, our kids who are differently wired that we're thinking like they are just a little different than the other 9, 10, 11-year-olds down the road. And these activities are good for young kids all the way through teens. And then for teens, we have right now it's monthly, but I've already been asked by the teens who have shown up if we can do it every other week or once a week. We are meeting via Zoom and we're just talking. The kids are talking to each other. They're going into breakout rooms if we get enough kids. And if the um, the one we had last week had 11 kids, and so we just hung out in a big group together. And I'm there just really kind of as a moderator mon- monitor, but they're talking. They were already talking about video games and exchanging server information and YouTube channels that some of them have. So it's giving them a place, a safe place to connect with other teens that have quirky ideas or are doing cool things and bouncing ideas off of others. And then for the younger kids, we're thinking about doing the same thing as we get a little bit further into it. We're only entering our second month of having the community open, but I know that the younger kids are asking for something similar. In the meantime, they have a platform within the dashboard where they can record short videos to each other and share things they're working on. Um, introductions to themselves, answer questions, start questions, and then answer each other via video. So they're kind of doing these delayed video chats um, that they're um, they're communicating with each other and getting to know each other. So we'll put that in real time as we get more um, kids who are comfortable speaking in front of the camera and, and getting to know each other. You know, with younger kids, you have like, let me show you my dog. And so <laughs> as they're getting more comfortable saying like, this is a poem I wrote, or I'd love to share the the song that I'm working on, or, you know, I've been wondering about this. Does anybody know about, you know, how black holes came to be or whatever, that we'll start opening it up to more in-person live conversations for them. So it's kind of a a growing, breathing community that is going to be evolving to what the kids who are part of it need and want more of with the foundation being that social and emotional learning and that creative thinking um, challenge and extensions of their their brains and their learning. It's been it's been really, really fun. I'm super excited. Yeah, that actually it's it's very it's a lot more in depth <laughs> than I thought it would be um, because it's also a lot more learner focused. I guess well, it is a learner's lab. Like it's a lot more child focused, which is really nice because so many things are geared towards the parents learning something and then teaching it down to their child. But you really do have an engaging, interactive community with the learner. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm really yeah. trying for that. There's one piece where um, parents can upgrade. There's two different levels of membership. So I'll the the link is if you just go to raisinglifelonglearners.com, up in the top corner, there's a big giant button that says Learners Lab, and you can click on that and it'll take you right to it. Or I'll give you the direct link so you can put it in the show notes. But there's two levels. So parents can upgrade to, um, it's like another $10 a month that they get a class for them um, each month. And that's live with a Q&A. We just did our first one on Wednesday. It ended up lasting two hours because the class itself is like 50 minutes of a masterclass. But I will answer every single question. If somebody's willing to come and show up live, I'm going to answer any one of the questions that they have. So we ended up talking afterwards for an hour and 10 minutes. But oh, wow. that one that one was about worry. So the, the masterclass for parents is always going to be about the social and emotional skill we're working with the kids on so parents can support them and keep them growing in that social and emotional skill. And then those parents who want that learning for themselves also get access to this bonus library that's growing. Um, There's two or three things in there right now, but every time I have a little bit of spare time, I'm going to add more in. It will eventually have all of the past talks that I've done at any conventions, any like online summits or anywhere I've presented about gifted and twice exceptional and creative and resilient kids. And um, so they'll have access to every talk I've ever done and then every talk I'm ever going to do at conventions. We'll just put them in there as we get the recordings so they can keep their own learning going if they want more of that. And the goal is to eventually, to that parent component, add a side community as well. So parents and and me, we can we can be talking to each other in, in between. But right now, my focus was getting something for the kids because so many are struggling with the isolation yeah. and their co-ops being canceled and stuff like that, that they really, really need the time with each other and other kids like them. So that was my primary focus in getting it up and going. Yeah, it's absolutely timely because you're talking about this month is worry, next month is resilience. Those are such key components to, I mean, everyday life anyways, but especially during now, the pandemic, during COVID and everything that we're facing and the changes and the uncertainty. So yeah, wow. Colleen, that's wonderful. It's really, it's like a library vault of Mm -hmm. access and information and support that you're providing to the kids and to the parents. It's, It's phenomenal. Thank you. I'm excited. Yeah, as you should be. I'm excited <laughs> listening to it. I'm like, wow, that's a great, yes, that's a great idea. Yeah, oh, yes, yes, that's going to be so good. Oh, my, yeah. <laughs> so I'm sure you're very excited, yes. <laughs> I, I, I'm, there, I'm there cheering it on as, you're, as I'm listening to everything that's included with it. So well, I'm okay. so glad. I'm, I, we were talking before. I hope to see your kids over there. So <laughs> Yes, you will. You absolutely will. All right. Well, I, you know, I want to be respectful of your time as well. I, I you thank you for granting me, uh, you know, this much longer as well. And I, I'm very grateful. And I will include all of the links in the show notes too, because I know parents will want to reach out and have access to that too. So you can go to the show notes and I will have the information for your book, Raising Resilient Sons, on there, as well as the Learners Lab and your website too, where they can reach you, as well as your social media, because you're on Instagram and -hmm. Facebook too. So I'll have those links on there. Perfect. Thank you. 
Oh, thank you. Okay. Yeah, I, th- I well, think we could have we could have one of these conversations like every month. I think you and I could just keep talking yeah. and talking and talking. <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely. You know, because as we're ta- I keep thinking, oh no, I want you know, I I said an hour, but we're over, and I didn't want to cut you off, but at the same time, I want to. I'm trying to smash it all in, and then I'm like, oh no, that's not working because I'd want to talk about this more. And yeah, there we go. Yeah, we could talk every month. <laughs> I already have a list of things that I want to ask you again after. Yes. Yeah, about this and yeah so yeah so I'll talk to you in a month then <laughs> yeah sounds good we'll just keep keep a, a, a running meeting on the schedule we'll alternate podcasts sounds- you come on mine uh, I'll come on yours oh <laughs> that's a very good idea very very good idea okay let's do that that sounds like a plan. <laughs> okay well thank you Colleen I will be in touch and uh, I will speak to you very soon and I I know everyone that's listening will enjoy the huge amount of wealth of information and knowledge and just sheer enthusiasm and passion that always comes through in your interviews and in your voice and what you talk about and advocate for. So it's been a pleasure. Thank you. This has really, really been fun. I appreciate your time (laughs) as well.